Good morning. Um, we just wanted to say welcome again. It's really lovely to see you all here. Um, my name's Jess, for those of you who don't know me. Um, I've been coming to OCC for about three years, and when I'm not at church, I work in a Christian publishing house as an editor. And now I'm going to pass on to the lovely Lynn to introduce herself. I've got a microphone. <laughs> um, so I'm Sally, um, and uh, I'm a stay-at-home mum, and uh, I really don't know what else to say, <laughs> apart from to hand over to Lynn. I've got lots to say later. So, Lynn, it's your turn. Well, I've um, oh, I'm going to use the mic. Um, so, I'm Lynn, and I've uh, been here for a while. And the three of us are KST students, and we'd like to give you a really good plug for KST. It's a great thing. It's helping shape our... It's helping shape our thinking about God, and hopefully some of that will come out in the talk that you'll see that we've begun to think about things that we're passionate about and give it a theological perspective as well. So I think it's Sally to do the introduction. Great. Okay. Well, it's quite nice because we're sat down on sofas. I feel a little bit more relaxed I'm sitting on the sofa. must admit I'm quite nervous, so please forgive me. Um, I just thought I'd get that out there. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, we've all been doing uh, King's School of Theology for two years now, and this is our first opportunity to speak in front of such a large group of people. So, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so when it comes to hospitality, um, I'm sure that all of you have experienced it to a different degree and a different range. You might have stayed with friends for a weekend, um, got to stay in a very plush hotel and experienced their hospitality. You might have lodged um, with a family and discovered what it's like to be thrown into a family. I did that. Um, That's just a really short list, but you kind of get the idea. There's lots of different ways, and I'm sure that we all have. I'm sure that you might be coming thinking negative things about the hospitality you've experienced, or you might have very positive things about it. Um, um, We just uh, want to explain to you the biblical precedent for why we're sat here, why we're talking about it. Um, We believe that hospitality and feasting and fellowship are characteristics of the kingdom of God. And uh, this can be seen in the example set by the early church and in the pictures that Jesus painted in his time and when he talked about the coming of the kingdom. And as such, we believe that it's something that we should all be fostering now in the church, um, yeah, preparing his kingdom. So Lynn is going to tell you a little bit more about the, the depth that we've discovered. Great. Well, being a good KST student, you have to start with the etymology. That's just a posh way of saying where the word came from. So I did a little bit of research, probably not kind of the research that could be slotted into your essay, but I did more than Wikipedia. Um, And the derivation of hospitality is a Latin word. There's a lot of discussion about which word it was. But the one that I've picked to choose is the word hospes. And what it meant was friend, stranger, host, and enemy. All of those things all at once. And it's because it's trying to describe the concept that you can't be a guest or a friend You can't be a guest or a a stranger without having a friend or an enemy. So it's about the relationship that a person and the host has. And it's used quite widely in that way. So it meant both those two opposing things, things that are held in tension, but that are described within a relationship. So I'm taking that as my definition and trying to uh, pick that. We'll pick that up later as we look at our relationship with each other and our relationship with God as who is the host in the relationship and who is the guest. Um, we're going to t- I'm going to talk a bit about um, eating um, because it occurs a lot in the Bible. It's not the only means of hospitality, as Sally's outlined, but food is a really important thing in the Bible. And right at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, after he's made man and woman, he then looks around and says, you can eat anything, anything at all, except this one thing, the, the knowledge of the tree of the tree of life of knowledge. I always get that bit wrong. Um, but it's to say that God, right from the very beginning, was abundant in what he would provide for us and what we could feast on. And in the Old Testament, it goes on to develop, as Sally said, feasts and fasting, feasts and fasting. What is a true feast? What is a true fast? 
and we're going to look a little bit about that. Um, and it goes on to develop. Now, Jess is going to read <laughs> Isaiah 25. Oh, that's loud. Sorry. Uh, six to nine. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Thanks, Jess. So this was a feast before God, which was a right feast, a true feast. And the mountain is a place of holiness. And what Isaiah is saying is that he's going to draw up all the people onto the mountain and provide an abundant feast. I'm, I was, I'm pretty struck with the aged wine and the really good food. It's not just any old rubbish. It's not Tesco's value. Or uh, Friends who know me will know that I, I shouldn't say that. Um, I could be in trouble later if I do. Um, but what God is doing is something really abundant and giving us of the best. And it's a foretaste. And this particular passage points very much towards Revelation 21, where there'll be no more weeping and salvation will come. There'll be a feast, there'll be a banquet. This is something of a theme that we'll see starts to develop. God is doing something and putting it right at the beginning throughout the Bible. We don't have time to say every verse that there was in the Old Testament or the New so that would be delightful. Um, for, it'd be interesting for me, maybe not for you. Um, but we, it's, it's to say that the, the Jews were expecting a messianic banquet. They were looking for it. They were looking to see when the Messiah came, this thing would happen. This is what it would be like. So I'm just asking to put that in the back of our minds. Uh, before we go into the New Testament, I thought I would just point out a couple of things in the Old Testament about purity and food. Pretty much the whole of Leviticus is dedicated to describing what is pure and what is clean and what is unclean, what you can do, what you can eat, what you can't eat. Um, And it became a part of the temple practice, uh, defined things that were excluded, uh, things that were dirty were blood or death. Um, And the sacrifices that were offered, and there were many, all required some kind of blood or some kind of flesh, some giving over of something. And they all involved cleaning and a ritual washing of stuff. Um, And really, the whole practice of food and coming into the temple and the purity laws defined who was in and who was out, who was in God's people and who wasn't. And this is an important thing that kind of we're now going to look at. Is that the same in the New Testament as the old, because pretty soon the Pharisees started applying the temple laws to household everyday life, if you like, taking the rules from temple to table, which is our nice little segue into looking at at the New Testament and how Jesus ate um, in the temple. Uh, See if I can swipe along. Uh, So I think it might be the reading from Luke. So this is Luke 14, 1 to 24. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from an abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal a man on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has put a child if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the sabbath day will you not immediately pull it out and they had nothing to say when he noticed how the guests picked places of honor at the table he told them this parable when someone invites you to a wedding feast do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited if so the host who invited both of you will come to you and say to you, give this person your seat. Then 
humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they will invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Great. So Jesus healed on the Sabbath. That's bad? No. But it it offended people. He did something that offended them. And so at that point, Jesus pulls out the parable about... Yeah, I can't read because glasses are now alive. It'll be fine. I know what I want to say. So Jesus heals and it offended him. But he immediately pulled out the banquet and about why are you choosing places of honour? I mean, I can't imagine going to a wedding. I've been to a few, and I don't always like who I get to sit next to, and I think, what were they thinking? But I've never yet had the audacity to go to the host and say, please, can I swap? Can I sit on the, can I sit on the large table at the front? That's just not right. But this is what these guys were doing. And I guess what Jesus was kind of making a point, not just about the wedding, but about who you choose to honour when you're a guest or when you go to an event, who should the honour be to? And because we have the link with the Messianic banquet, Jesus is really saying that a right feast and a right fast is about honouring the host, the guest, the, the, the host, which is God. You know, the, Jesus is the groom, and rather than uh, worrying about where you sit, you should be taking the place of humility, and God will exalt you. And we'll see that again in other in other parables. Um, and in any case, these these people who've been invited to the banquet, like today, wedding dates and banquet dates are known long, long time. Now we have the save the date tradition, don't we, where you kind of email, and it's really like saying, I haven't got my wedding invites quite sorted, but I'd like you to come, so I'm going to let you know, and then I'll give you the proper invite. And these guys knew that. And saying that they had oxen to sell or they had wives to marry, or that's just really, really offensive and a bit lame, if I'm honest. And I think it might be that Jesus pulls this out because he knew he'd offended them in another way. You know, he'd done a healing, he'd done something, and they're trying to accuse him, but he's sort of putting it back on them and saying, well, you couldn't even be bothered to turn up, you know, like. Um, so it was shocking um, to them the Pharisees, that Jesus would go out into the highways and byways and begin to invite people from outside the city, people who were Gentiles, people who were lame, people who were blind. I think when I started looking at the purity laws, I was quite shocked to see that women were excluded and any disabled person or anybody who touched anything or been unclean, and that included, because the Pharisees had taken the purity laws for the temple and applied it to the table and to homes, it affected who the the Jews at that time thought were in or who were out. So when Jesus said, and when you have a banquet, don't just invite your friends, what he was really saying is that my banquet is going to be not the exclusive banquet defined by whether you're socially acceptable, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, whether you're clean, whether you're unclean. He was saying, my kingdom is a kingdom that's inclusive. Invite everybody. Everybody should come. And when he, he goes on in, in lots of other um, examples in the New Testament of being at a meal, um, I think Luke is one of those Gospels, if you read it, he's either at a meal, coming from a meal, going from a meal, teaching at a meal, or doing a miracle that is a meal. And so Jesus has, he is a personification of the perfect host, and he's, excuse me, really telling us this is what our hospitality should look like. We should be being gracious, and we should be stretching our net widely and pulling in people who are less well-known to us, less comfortable. And he makes a point about when you invite people, don't just invite those people who can repay you. 
Invite the poor. Invite people who've got nothing, who you think have got nothing to give back. And yet you will be blessed because you're going above and beyond what seems to be acceptable. Uh, another time Jesus was at, in the house of a Pharisee and they were shocked that he didn't wash his hands. He hadn't done the ritual hand-washing thing that was required. And when I was preparing for this, I just thought, yeah, but what about the loaves and the fishes? I bet that broke all the health and safety regs because there'd be no water. There'd be nowhere. There was no way of distinguishing who was clean or who was unclean. They were in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere, and God miraculously provided. Now, does that ring any other bells? It reminded me, of course, and Sally tells me when we were talking, I thought that was just a bright idea, and I hadn't found it in the commentary, but she said, it is, it's in, it's in the biblical imagery thing. <laughs> um, but of course, it's, it's, it's what I was trying to say, is that God has got a theme that runs throughout the whole Bible about right feasting and right fasting, and that the right feasting and the right fasting is about honoring the poor and seeing that everything is done not just um that and when jesus feeds the five thousand, he just breaks the mold because yet again he's showing god's incredible abundance and provision even in the wilderness just like in the old testament when the jews were in the wilderness and getting the manna from heaven So, what is the relevance of all this to our section? Well, meals together have a purpose. You know, Jesus, in all the meals that are recorded in Luke, was always teaching, he was always inviting people, he was discipling people, he was teaching people, and so can we. And I had a little section which was about meals as mission, because it says in Acts that um, numbers were being added to them daily, just after they'd had a meal. And I think it's fair to say that Jesus and his disciples used meals as a means of connecting with people, for sure, but also teaching about the kingdom of God. Just being the kingdom of God, just being at a meal in itself could be like a representation of what heaven is like. We'll talk more about that in a minute. I'm sure that we don't have to be perfect. Um, Also, we need to learn to be like a humble servant, take the lowest place. One of the things that um, I really found helpful is when the woman comes into the house of the Pharisee and Jesus has basically been set up right. You know, he's allegedly the guest of honor. Um, And yet the Pharisees haven't done all the hospitable things they ought to have done. They haven't provided him um, with his feet to be washed. They haven't done a number of things. And this woman comes in and she's definitely, in their minds, unwelcome guest. You know, she's thought to be a prostitute. She's probably, there's a whole number of things that they've assumed about her. But she comes in and starts making a fuss, washing Jesus' feet with her tears, weeping, wailing. I can imagine it's a bit embarrassing. I wouldn't like that if somebody did that at my dinner party. <laughs> but maybe I would have grace. I don't know. But Jesus says, no, you're not, you didn't do what you were required. And actually, he makes the unwelcome guest into the, to the exalted host, really. She did all the things for Jesus that his hosts hadn't done. And for me, I think... Sometimes we need to remember or we, we don't always understand that a small act of hospitality or kindness can go a really long way and you don't always know the consequences of what you're going to do. So I don't suppose when she came in she thought, oh, I'll make a real song and dance and suddenly I'll be remembered in the Bible for all time as the woman who wanted Jesus. I don't suppose that was on her radar. Um, we haven't really got very much time to talk about a lot about the Lord's Supper. Um, there's obviously a link to the Passover festivals and stuff, but we just haven't got time to unpack that. But I was struck that after the resurrection, Cleopas and a companion walked along the Emmaus Road with Jesus, and they didn't see him, really. They didn't understand who he was. They were just walking along until they got to where they were going and they broke bread, and suddenly their eyes were open and they saw who Jesus was. And... I think it's N.T. Wright who suggested this, but it's going right back to the Garden of Eden where they were forbidden fruit and they ate and their eyes were closed and it affected their relationship with God. And yet here, Jesus, the second Adam, is walking along a road and in the breaking of bread, suddenly 
their eyes are opened, not closed. And it could be kind of a, a sort of symbolic re reversal. And if that is so, that there's something about breaking bread and seeing Jesus, what does that mean for us as we take communion today? So a quick little summary. So God is a God of abundance. And hospitality is evident throughout the whole Bible. It's characteristic of God and of his coming kingdom. And we need to think about and take this seriously. So now a bit more practical. Um, what does hospitality look like for us? And how do we do it practically? Well, in the Western world, hospitality can often make us think of throwing a perfect dinner party with beautiful matching glasses, uh, flowers on the table, very nice napkins, all that sort of thing. But however, in the Bible, we've just seen that it's a bit more than just perfection, um, that actually Jesus brought lots of imperfect people in to meals and into his life. So, um, and it's about meeting people's needs and it's about being sacrificial. So really... Um, if anything that we're talking about impacts you, I want the first thing that you do is not to think about it for yourself, but we know Jesus and we know the Holy Spirit. And if you think that you would like to be uh, an example of what Jesus talked about, then take some time and some space to sit with God. This is the first thing to do. Take some time and some space to sit with God to pray about it, to ask him, is this something you want me to do, God? Do you want me to open my life up more? Do you want me to be a, a living example of your kingdom? And be res receptive to the idea of creating this place of welcome for people. And although quite a lot of the examples we'll talk about are our homes, it's not about just opening up your home. There are all sorts of areas um, of life where you can be hospitable. Um, I was just writing down things from the notices. Um, so I've got other ideas, but I was just struck. There was a notice about Tyndale. Well, we want people to feel welcome there, and we need uh, Christians to be there welcoming and showing God's kingdom and making people feel comfortable and making them feel like it's a place of welcome. And then Anna talked about transform and transform is brilliant and I love it. But what I love about it is the fact that there is this extended time to sit and eat with people and to give hospitality and to receive hospitality. Um, and it's brilliant. Um, other examples might be your workplace, um, your home, but also here at church. Um, if we need people to be welcoming and to invite people in at church. Um, Jess, I wanted you to give a little example about your workplace and one of the things you've done there that has created hospitality but then opened up to opportunity for long, deeper conversations. Um, so I work in a publishing house and over the last couple of years, quite a few new people have joined. Um, and we started getting to know each other just by going for drinks um, after work, which is great. Um, but I found it was when I kind of invited everyone into my home and cooked for them um, that I think that was kind of a... It helped build much stronger relationships. Um, and they're now people who I really count as, as close friends. And I kind of think out of that, it, someone turned to me the other day and said, Jess, should I lie on my appraisal? And I thought, you know my answer to this. Um, but you know me well enough to know what I'm going to say. And actually, it's probably because you don't really want to lie. You just want another, you want another way around this. And so I was able to say, well, actually, I don't think you need to. I think the objectives that were set for you were ridiculous. And I think you can explain how you've kind of achieved some of it, but not all of it. And actually, that's totally reasonable. Um, but I think it was just, for me, it was an example of how we can start to disciple people when we really know people and when they trust us and when we trust them. And part of that for me was kind of saying, okay, well, this is my work life, but actually I'm happy to share all of my life with you. You can come into my home. You can see my mess or my tidiness if I have had time and whizzed around. And, but it, yeah, so that's, that's my example. <laughs> Great, thank you. Um, so... I've said that we need to think about and pray about this thing. 
um, and talk about it with God. But we can't just leave it like that. Um, Jess has given us a great example of it has to be between two people. Lynn talked about the root of the word and it being mostly actually about the relationship rather than one person. So it needs to have two or more people for this hospitality to happen. Um, We need to be able to open up, to accept people, um, to invite them to be part of our family. Also, what I felt was really important as well is um, to be able to accept ourselves for who we are and what our we are like not expect ourselves to be perfect um, as we extend this to people. Um, there's a couple of things that I wanted to say in regards to this. I've got a quote from a book, but also I had a weird dream last night which involved a lot, a lot of Lego. Um, I've got a nine-year-old, no, an eight-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a four-year-old. So there is a lot of Lego in our life, but. Um, and it reminded me, at the start of the year, we had a prophetic word, which was about building and about building blocks. And I was just thinking about um, this morning, after I woke up, and just thinking, actually, the hospitality is the bit that sticks those building blocks together. It's the bit that joins us as a church together. So as, we are, as we're seeking to build God's kingdom here, that we should be seeking to put in place that cement in between the bricks as we build. Um, Yeah. And I want to read um, a brilliant quote from this little book that I've picked up recently by somebody called Thea Jarvis. It's called Everyday Hospitality. And when I say I picked it up recently, I picked it up because I was asked to speak about hospitality. Um, (laughs) But there's this great quote that is about um, a lady who kind of... her. her transition from being the perfect hostess to kind of um, being more relaxed and at ease and actually enjoying the process more. So I'll just find my page and then I'll read for you. My transition from an imagined grand dame of hospitality into a relaxed and welcoming keeper of the key has been gradual and not without struggle. My idea of a tidy house has given way to the temporary chaos that ensues when beloved grandchildren or close friends come to call. Meals may now be last minute, informal and off the cuff. Plans are permitted to change. Bedtimes adapted to seasonal activity and weather reports. Thankfully, my insides have softened as my experience of hospitality has deepened. I do not develop a knot in my stomach if I've forgotten to plug in the coffee pot or put out extra pillows in the guest room. I'm not quite so frazzled when vacationing feet trail beach sand through my living room or wet towels pile up in the laundry like alien invaders just off to the mothership. The more I'm willing to forego lofty notions of what hospitality ought to be and open myself to what hospitality might and could be, I'm gentler, kinder, a happier host. If I surrender to the magic of the moment and the promptings of the present, hospitality washes over me like water on a rock, rounding me out and putting curves on my angles. It shapes me into someone who wasn't capable of beco- I wasn't capable of coming before its gifts and challenges came barreling through my door. Um, Lynn, I think you had a little example of something where your curves have been shapened off. You're going to talk, do you remember? I do. <laughs> um, as lots of people will probably know, we have an annex in our house. And I think I remember Eileen Elmett telling me I was crazy. Um, but like we went out to stay with the Clays and we offered them to come and stay in our house. Well, there were, there were two adults and five children under the age of five. So originally we thought maybe they could stay in the annex, but we didn't know how many children they had. And so in the end, we moved into the annex and they moved into our house. And that was uh, an amazing experience. The Clays were absolutely fantastic, you know. But you suddenly learn how to um, let go of your desires to be the perfect host you learn to live with any number of degrees of stickiness I didn't know there were so many different kinds of sticky Um, 
and all of them delightful. I mean it. And, and they were just such lovely people. And I was impressed with them being such lovely hosts, uh, being such lovely guests, you know. Um, Rach turned up. She really organized. I guess you have to be when you've got that many children under five. And put down, like, um, stuff on the carpet, like carpet protector. And the hoover came out every day. And they provided meals for us. And we had to learn how to be both host and guest. And there are other people we've had that we just, um, I, uh, yeah, there are some that stand out as being remarkably gracious guests as well as being tremendous hosts to us. But it's, for us, it was like we wanted to give of our best, um, for sure, but you have, it's like, I, I really love that reading because you learn that iron sharpens iron and actually people soften you and take edges off you, the things you thought were precious, not noticing the person who dinted our wall just after we'd painted it or, um, or or the chap who came from another country who uh, after asking if I could if he could borrow my bike and I'd said no took it anyway and crashed all the gears and left me with a, a bit and those things you you learn how to they definitely take edges off you and being gracious about that afterwards it's not that I wasn't cross or unhappy about it at the time, but it's part of it's part of being open to being hospitable. And if you don't take the risk, it would be tempting after having some bad experiences to not keep on keeping on taking the risk. But all the time, you're not doing that. You're not taking. You're not being open, and you're not welcoming, and you're robbing people of an experience that that they could have had and that you could have had of having them in your house. Does that make sense? Is that what you wanted me to say? Yeah, and um, I don't think I'm anywhere near the lady in the book that I read from. I'm not quite smooth and lovely yet. But um, I know that our family, we have um, been learning a lot more how to be more relaxed and how to let our plans just be a bit more fluid if we've got other people around um, or if we want other people to be able to drop in to not be quite so rigid um, and just let um, realise what the important things are. Um, there are boundaries and there are other things like that that are, are important but to just to let the unimportant things be a bit more flowing. Um, great. So uh, where am I? Yeah, so it's about being generous and it's about meeting people's needs. Um, and I wanted to give a little example from the Bible um, of a man called Simon who is in Acts. And he has uh, one of the apostles called Peter to stay. And um, we probably all know about Peter. Peter um, is one of the church founders um, and this particular time when he's staying with Simon, he has this amazing vision um, that actually changes his view of God's people. And I don't really want to talk about that. That's important, but <laughs> it's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about his host, Simon. Um, because in the Bible, when just before it talks about Peter's vision, it talks about how he's hungry. He's hungry and he goes up on the roof um, and while he's waiting for his meal to be prepared, he has this amazing vision. And I was just kind of imagining what it might be like if he hadn't been staying with Simon and um, he hadn't had a meal prepared for him by the household. Would he have had the time and space to go and sit with, before God and to get that vision? Who knows? But Simon and his household served him at that point. They didn't need to go and have another grand vision. They needed to serve Peter, and they cooked food for him um, during his stay. So I just, I love that example. And I wanted to give a quick example from my household that we have done recently. We had a lovely lady staying um, from Brussels, which many of you maybe met back in February. Her name was Rufine, and she was great. And we um, said we'd have her to stay, and she was over to do some English language learning. That's what we um, believed. So that, well, she's what she did. Um, so she came over and stayed with us, and we provided a house, and we provided her food, um, and we gave her a nice, relaxed atmosphere. And actually what we discovered by the conversations that we had with her 
is she also wanted her time in Oxford to be a time where she could spend time with God away from the busyness of her work um, and think about where she where God wanted her to be in the future she had little plans but she wanted God to expand them and she wanted her time in Oxford to be something of that and I hope that our household providing for her needs um, meant that actually she did get to do some of that she did get to spend that time with God and to think it through um great Okay, so um, as I was thinking about um, hospitality, I was thinking about three different types of needs that you might meet um, from where you might be able to meet for people. So there's the really obvious one, which is the physical needs. So um, one, we're providing food, which I love. I love food, um, and Jesus clearly loved food, so it's all good. Um, we can see that he spent time caring for people's physical needs in that way. But also, um, when I talked about areas of hospitality and church being one of them, actually, there, uh, once a month, there's an opportunity here to be hospitable and to provide for people's needs with food. Um, and that's, uh, we run a lunch for people who are vulnerably housed and homeless um, called City Lunch. That's once a month. Um, and that's an amazing opportunity to provide for people's physical needs here, um, which Lynn actually helps coordinate. So if you feel inspired, you can talk to her. Um, and it's actually, it's a really easy thing to do to provide for people's physical needs in that way. Um, there's also providing shelter for people. Um, and, oh, I don't know if I told you this bit, but I've stuck you in here, Jess. Um, <laughs> talking about um, providing some shelter for somebody quite last minute. Do you remember what story it is? 1.30 in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I made the mistake of saying to my friends that they could come round any time. And uh, I've got quite a few friends who live in Reading because that was where I was born. And um, I got a text, uh, well, I've had, I've had two now from different friends, because apparently word has spread that this is a service I provide. <laughs> if you've been out in London and you fall asleep and miss the Reading stop and end up in Oxford, <laughs> then apparently you can call me <laughs> at any time. <laughs> and um, I, th- I guess part of what we wanted to say to you, actually, is that um, hospitality is, is sacrificial. And I can tell you that the last time this happened, the first time it was kind of fun. It was kind of, oh, yeah, okay, impromptu. The second time, I was like, it's 12.30. I'm shattered. I'm in bed. My light is off. I don't want to get up and make you a bed and make you a cup of tea and, and let you come and stay in my home. I, don't, I haven't seen you in years. I don't really want to. Um, and my friend had told me that her battery was dying, and I was like, if I leave it for five more minutes, her battery might die, and I might not have to deal with this. I'm really, isn't that awful? Um, <laughs> little redemption, I didn't. But, um, yeah, I think I was, it made me think, what, what is it to be family to each other? Because, actually, I got stuck last night. Uh, I ended up at 2 a.m. bowling into my parents' house in uh, Reading because I had been trying to get back here a lot earlier so I'd get a nice night's sleep before today. Um, And there were signal problems at Slough. And uh, it didn't occur to me not to phone my parents and be like, I will be bowling in probably very noisily at some point in the middle of the night. Um, And I expect that to be okay because they're my family and they have a duty of care for me. Um, and so I guess one of the things I was thinking about was, if we're family, how, how far are we prepared to go to sacrifice for one, each, for one another? But anyway, yes, shelter. Oh, I keep trying to give yeah, you the microphone. I'm, I'm, I'm on my own sofa, <laughs> my own mic, I'm great. Um, and also I was talking, I mentioned church um, and making people comfortable and welcome here. And there are little physical things that we could do to make people feel welcome here on a Sunday. Um, For example, just asking somebody to come and sit next to you. Um, If you see they're kind of lingering at the back or just a face that you don't recognise or just um, explaining how the service goes, um, what we do, um, because we don't have a little uh, book that you can follow. Um, So... 
people might not know what we do. So just making them feel comfortable. Or the stewards are great at doing all this. Or looking out for people with kids and saying, you know, the kids are in this room. Can I walk you there? That my child's going there too. That sort of thing. Um, Great. So that was number one, physical needs. Um, Number two is uh, social needs. So I'm thinking about extending friendship and care to people by um, what you say and what you do. And Lynn had a great example of um, somebody else, Eileen, and what she did to, to develop friendship um, and, yeah, break down barriers a bit. Yeah, so I was impressed uh, a couple of years ago when Eileen and Keith invited us over for dinner and I thought, great, two of my favourite people and the food will be awesome. Uh, And it was. Um, But she also invited a couple of people that neither of us knew very well and um, one of them, they were both people who were having Christmas on their own and both people quite independently suddenly said in the middle of dinner, it's time to go. It's time to go. Can I go home now? It's, it's two o'clock or it's three o'clock. And it took a lot of... It was great that we could include them, and they did stay, and we had a great time over the afternoon. But they, I was just impressed with Keith and Eileen being inclusive and choosing some people who were outside our circle of friends. And it, you know, I didn't want to share my friends, really. But it was great. we had a really... I have to say, we did have a really good... We, d- we did, didn't we? We had a really good afternoon and we ended up we found that by doing different quizzes different people would know different things and so it was really good because different people because then came alive and there were some people who had very specific shall we say knowledge about particular things it was really good really good evening and yeah yeah sally we look i'm fine Um, and the, uh, the third thing that I wanted to mention was providing for people's spiritual needs as well. So when you are hosting somebody, having your heart and your ears open to God, um, having opportunities to pray for people. Actually, there's somebody who we end up pri- providing shelter for reasonably often, somebody who's vulnerably housed, who's um, attached to the church. And he doesn't wait for us to say oh, should we pray for you about that? He's just like, I'll tell you my stuff. Will you pray? Um, And it's great, actually. And it's really good to know that, one, he's hungry after God, and two, that he trusts that when we provide for his his needs physically, we also want to pray for him. So it's great. So just wanting to encourage you to open up your hearts as you're speaking to people, as you're sharing with people, to pray, to seek God's wisdom for them, and to encourage them to know God in a greater depth. Um, I'm just lobbing something in that I haven't written the notes now. Um, (laughs) I wanted to say, I've talked a lot, but actually um, what I've discovered is that although since John and I have been married, we've been like, hospitality is great. We have discovered that you can say to people, you're welcome to drop in at any point, and, and they won't because... Well, not all of us here are very British, but quite a lot of us are quite British. And they're like, oh, do you really mean you can just drop in? We didn't have... We had to physically lock with our key, our old house. And so we told people, if the door is not locked with a key, if you can open it, open it and shout hi and um, it's great, come in. And we discovered that actually saying that is one thing, but we had to make a point of... um, when people had a need, inviting them round, and, and so to kind of encourage them that actually we do mean it. So, um, for example, um, a member of the church, her water had broken, or a hot water broken, I can't remember exactly what it was, and I kind of overheard this little thing and thought, ah, I've said to you before, our door is open, so I'm just, I'll just throw in, you're welcome to come and have a shower. And actually she did, and afterwards she said, you know, you've always told me I'm welcome, but I really feel it now. I'm like, Oh, good. That's great. And then um, there was somebody else um, who I didn't I didn't know at all, but I'd heard that she'd um, broken her collarbone, and my heart just went out to her. And I was like, "Well, I, I know that you're not going to be able to prepare any food, so I don't know you, but come and eat with me, and we'll get to know get to know each other." And now we're very good friends, and 
whenever she's having a crisis, I often get text messages saying, please, can I come to your house? Which is lovely and great. So there's all this good theory, but we need to be a bit proactive and look for those opportunities. Look for particular celebrations that you can draw people into. Um, Christmas is a great example. At New Year, we drew in people from um, a social club that John does and from church, and we knew that they all had something in common, so we drew them together, threw them together. It was great. Um, but birthday parties, um, anniversaries, all sorts of things create um, opportunities where people can mix and uh, people can feel welcome in your house. Uh, great. I think that is over to you now, Jess. <laughs> So we wanted to think quite practically about how you could respond um, and kind of have three challenges for you. So the first is, is there anyone in your life actually who, while we've been speaking, you kind of think, actually, I could, you're just a kind of acquaintance, but I could try and deepen my relationship with you and I could actively invite you for coffee, I could invite you to my house, I could, I could make one more step to be hospitable to you, or even if you know that someone has a need, kind of can you offer to try and help meet that need. The second one, actually, when I was thinking about this, I thought, I love being a host. There's something great about being a host. You're, you have you kind of have the power and you get a little bit of the glory. Like, you get to put on a very nice dinner party, people come to your home, it's lovely. Um, what I really struggle with is when I've got a problem that I can't, I can't meet my own needs. So when my washing machine broke, I kind of took a deep breath and was like, so who can I ask to do my washing for me? It's like, well, George Clark is my personal pastor, so she probably has to help me. <laughs> she has committed to me. But that was, like, if I'm really honest with you, that was about as comfortable as I was to kind of stretch out and say, will you help me? So I think the flip side of, of hospitality is being prepared to be vulnerable with one another and being prepared to say, can you help me? Can you meet me in my need? Um, and the third thing we wanted to think about was, as a church... How are we different to people in the general world? And it kind of picks up on exactly what Sally just said. If we say to each other, you can drop in, do we take each other at face value? Or do we say, no, no, I might interrupt a conversation, I might interrupt a meal, I might get in the way. And um, I, I was taught by a pastor once who said he was trying to build missional communities in his church. And he said that one of the things that they lay down was kind of this concept of having both ground rules and grace for people. So he had said to everyone in his missional community, you are welcome to drop in whenever, literally whenever, unless there's an absolute emergency, I will invite you in and you can have a cup of tea with me and my family. Um, but after you've had your cup of tea, unless we invite you to stay for longer, then the, the gracious thing for you to do will be to get up and go. And maybe that's something that we could say to each other. I know we've got a lot of shift workers, so maybe just dropping in doesn't quite work. But saying to people, you're genuinely welcome in my home. Drop me a text, and if I'm at home, I will, I will welcome you for a cup of tea. Um, and, and then that's it, unless, unless we invite you to stay for longer because we have time. Because we're all busy, but generally there's, there's half an hour to spare. Um, and there's a little bit of space that can be made. So maybe amongst your missional community or with um, other people that you're friends with in the church, maybe you could think about, do you want to say something like that to people? Do you want to say, you are welcome to drop in? Um, so those were our kind of responses that we would love, love, love for you to think about. Um, we're going to take communion in a minute. Um, and at the back there, you'll see there are three trestle tables and there are kind of six stations essentially what we would love is if you could go and take communion with people that you don't know um, and perhaps we could be a little bit Anglican and uh, what I really miss from going to an Anglican church is where people say uh, this is Christ's body broken for you and this is Christ's blood shed for you and maybe we can really share and pass that bread and wine from one to another and say that and then afterwards Perhaps if you have thought of a way that you would like to respond this morning, you could just ask for someone to pray for you that you would do that. Or if you have any other needs, then maybe you could say, actually, I'm not feeling great this week. Could you pray for me? And perhaps we could just be a little bit vulnerable with one another um, and with people who aren't our, our usual friends at church.
Can I throw in a little something? Yes, I had a little kind of prophetic something as well that I think maybe someone needs to respond to during communion. Um, I was praying about our talk and, and um, felt God remind me of the story of the prodigal son, which um, I'm sure lots of people know, but it's the story of this father um, who uh, shares his inheritance between his two children and one goes off and uh, spends it all on crazy things um, and then he ends up having to work with pigs um, to, gain, to get money and to get food um, and he realises that he's at the bottom of the pile and that really he just needs to go back to his father and ask for forgiveness um, and what I was struck by in it is as he travels back to his father, he probably stank quite badly and he was probably quite dirty and didn't feel that he should have a place of welcome at all and was going back humbly to offer himself as a servant to his father. Um, but God, in this, the, the father is a picture of God, and God in this story didn't hold back from this son. Um, he didn't hold back from the fact that the son felt that he was unworthy and smelly and, yeah, not great. He lavished a feast upon him um, and he killed the fatted calf and all of that. Um, and what I felt was that there is somebody here who feels a bit like that, actually, as we're coming towards the communion table, as we're going to celebrate um, what God has done for us, that you feel a bit kind of stinky and a bit unworthy and a bit gross, a bit dirty, as if you've been somewhere that's not very nice. And God wants to welcome you. He wants to welcome you and for you to run into his arms and join in this feast that we're going to have, this communion that we're going to have together. He wants you to run and feel his acceptance and feel his embrace um, as, you, as you take the bread and take the wine. He wants you to feel that. So, yeah, perhaps the band could play while, um, while people go for communion. Um, do be mindful of the needs of the people who you end up taking communion with. If, if it's better to come back and sit on the chairs because people need a seat, do. Or you could sit on the floor and just take the bread and wine to one side and kind of sit in a group together. Um, but yeah, that would be great.